the Yak Babies. Sex, Presidents, and Sometimes Books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by the Bible for Bears on the first day God said, let there be honey. My name is Aaron, here my personal pals Dave. We have Brick. Good morning, morning, boys. Oh, yes, good morning to you. And calling from Old Ireland, we have, of course, Old Irish Nico. Hello. You have to say good, good afternoon. Good afternoon, boys. Thank you. It's time for our <laughs> mates. Mates is probably more like what, Australia? Or British. Or British. Not, yeah. not Irish. Lads yeah. for Ireland. Gotcha. Well, now we know. Yak lads. Anyway, uh, what are we reading is our focus of the day. I want to hear what's going on in my personal pals reading lists. Let's start with Classic Dave. Uh, Dave, what do you got? What have you been reading lately? Classic Dave. <laughs> I'm reading a novel called Hard Rain Falling by Don Carpenter. You guys know this one. It's a New York Review oh, right. Books re-release of a novel in the from the 60s. Very beatnicky. I'm a couple chapters... From the end, I guess maybe I should save my full analysis, but I really like it. I mean, it's kind of dense, super heavy, also funny in surprising spots. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I've had some trouble reading lately still. So this, I think, is the first. I mean, it's more than 300 pages and it's small type. So like, this is the first long novel that I've been able to mm-hmm. knock out in, in quite a while. So you see that, Nikki, what do you I'm mean happy. by that? Like Kerouac-ish or something else? Okay. Kerouac-ish, but more serious okay. and better. And I would say racier, too. For, like, the mid-60s, there's a lot of heavy stuff happening. Like, prison. Most of it is set in prison, and it's known as one of the hmm. better prison novels. Like, a lot of homosexuality, but, like, presented really well. Like, tender, and huh. uh, it's just really well done. But, like, the kind of stuff that you'd imagine wouldn't have gone over so well and i think mm-hmm. it came out right, in 1965 right. what's the and then it fell out of print i mean i think it was i think it was fairly popular or at least well received when it came out and then it, it can you totally give us like the base just like a quick plot rundown or like a basic description yeah it's just like there are there's one main character but then a couple of others who are close to being main characters and they're all just kind of drifters in the 50s you know they hang out at pool halls bad upbringings and um they don't really know what to do with their lives so they just gamble in pool halls and drink and and fight and eventually end up in prison you know and it's like the circumstances that took them there aren't entirely their fault it's like a lot of uh the the main character has a lot of internal narration about you know how shitty society is and how it's society's fault that a lot of the people he was in with were inside it's pretty grim but uh, it sounds very like, good but sounds good do you know the author from other things or is that his like biggest no he wrote i think oh, wow. eight other okay. novels and then uh committed suicide somewhere in the maybe okay. the mid 90s gotcha. excellent but good and and when this when new york review brought this back out it was i remember oh, yeah. it being kind of a big deal it, so it first came out in 64 and then they released it in 2009 oh, okay. with a really awful kind of pointless intro by George <laughs> Pelicanos. Did he go to jail or that was the other guy went to jail? He was involved in the, in the guy who went to jail, right? Didn't Pelicanos like help some director? The guy who made, was it Die Hard? John McTiernan? Like spied on someone and went to maybe his ex-wife and like George Pelicanos helped him or something like that. You remember the story? No. 
All right, I have to look this he, up and see if I'm just fully insane or this is anything. What he like hired a PI? Or yeah, something I, th- I, think and, the, I think it's what happens. Like, he like like helped George Pelicanos helped him hire someone to spy on his ex wife or something like that. And now he's either in jail or has been in jail or was in jail for a while. But he was like a big name, like John Tiernan's like a known figure in Hollywood. It was a weird story, but that could be a dream. That could have been Sam made up and made subconscious and <laughs> have filled in with details. Cool. Uh, anything else, or is that that? Wonderful. No, Brick, it. let us hear from you. Oh, I actually read a book. Oh, yes. Which is uh, a lot better than I was doing this time last year. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all doing our best. <laughs> I read, it wasn't a long book, which helped. Mm. And it's appropriate for our current uh, weather situation. Ooh. So I read Snow Country by Yasunara Kawabata. Oh, yeah. I have that uh, over here. Has, has anyone read this? Yeah. It's on my shelf. <laughs> I, I read a few pages of that a couple of weeks ago. I didn't get into it, but... That was what the book I tried before yeah, the one I was talking about. I'm not sure what about. made me pick it up. I'm not even sure when I got it. It was just sitting, <laughs> just sitting there. So I grabbed it and I read it. It's good. Yeah. Nico will hate this book, so go ahead and skip it, Nico, because there's literally not a lot that happens, and I think the the ending takes a little work to connect to the rest of the story. But I thought it was really good. It's uh, he's a very atmospheric writer, which you can tell by his. I've only read his short stories before this. So who is it? What is it? Sorry, I was Yasunari Kawabata. Okay, I was I was researching John McTiernan's jail. <laughs> good update coming let's hear about that soon. Yeah. <laughs> all right so this is a story of a relationship that has a dead end it's a this guy he's just like this rich dude and he goes to this country town in the snow country like where there's a hot springs and he falls into this sort of relationship with the geisha the, the introduction sort of explicates that the uh that like a geisha in the country is a little different than maybe in the city where it's sort of a high profile classy they might end up being like performers and and famous people whereas in the country it's like maybe a step removed from a from a prostitute and then the whole you know it's a short book it's 180 pages the whole thing is just kind of their relationship and their conversations and then the ending is a little more I don't want to spoil it if you guys have it, but I haven't read it. But there's a the ending is just it's very abrupt, and at first I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Uh, and then you know when I thought about it like that night and, and sort of sat on it a bit, I ended up really liking it because I think it it sort of parallels the, the story pretty well and, and closes up in a way that isn't immediate apparent because the sort of the the focal point of the of the ending is this kind of third third almost periphery character that, that kind of moves yeah. in and out through the story and then that person is, is the focus of the ending so it, it kind of takes a little bit to, to connect it i found myself actually a lot when reading this thinking about goodbye columbus hmm, interesting tell us why well it's kind of a similar structure where it's like telling a relationship uh, telling the story of a relationship that has like a finite at least to the reader like it's pretty even the characters in this are like from the beginning they're like this isn't going anywhere right Right. So it, it's sort of telling that story, and then so the story is about the relationship, but it's also kind of more of about the, the culture with, with within with which they are in. I'm having a hard time putting words together. Today. It's all the snow. <laughs> yeah. You're getting bombo genesis in your head too. I am bombo genocide. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, it's sort of metal band called Bombo Genocide. <laughs> so it's really good. I would be interested in reading. You know, I like a good 180-page novel, too, so I'd be interested in reading some more. I already knew I liked his short stories, or at least the palm in the hand stories. I don't know if I've read anything beyond that. Yeah, you should check out Beauty and Sadness. Uh, I think that's what he won the Nobel Prize for. It's uh, also really good. I, I, as I recall, also has an abrupt ending. I think he kind of does that sort of kind of like, like has a cutoff ending almost. And you see the palm of the hand stories, too, where just like something just happens. You're like, oh, now it's over. Huh, that's 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Kalabata is also like Dave brought this to our attention before that Stuart Dybbuk is a fan of Kalabata and, and, you know, feels he's an influence in some ways. And you can definitely feel that in the Dybbuk stuff too. Sort of like the, like recollections of the past and sort of like the sadness of the present. Right. I think it's all over those novels for sure. Yeah. We did an episode, didn't we? we? The grasshopper in the bell yeah. cricket yeah, and Dybbuk's what paper mm-hmm. lantern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the writing is great. It's very controlled. The way he handles the characterization in particular is, is very strong. Yeah. That's a good book. Yeah. When I was in college, I took a Japanese lit class and I read Beauty and Sadness for it. And I wrote a paper about it. And the title of the paper was Beauty and Sadness is Both Beautiful and Sad. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Time for some juvenile. <laughs> yeah, dramatic reading. God, I'm sure it's atrocious. <laughs> Breaking the else. Me too. Not enough to report on, but I've started a book that so far I'm really liking, which is an old book. Because uh, we, I actually picked this up a while back when we were talking about gothic literature, and I grabbed one that I hadn't really even heard of or read before. I'm only about 50 pages, and it's called The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. David, no. you heard of this? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's like a gothic mystery story about some sort of gem that is brought back from India, and then people think have some kind of powers or something. I haven't gotten far enough into quite quite get a handle on the plot so most of my most of what i know of it's from the from the back but uh so far it's it's pretty intriguing um like i said i'm only about 50 you're still in the opening letter framing sequence of a gothic novel where it's about someone's day going to a mill or whatever correct (laughs) (laughs) yes that's exactly where i am nice uh nico what about you did i talk about cloud cuckoo land last time I don't know. That was the first like big book I read this year by Anthony Doerr, who who wrote uh, All the Light We Cannot See, which won the Pulitzer Prize, evidently. And I thought I thought he was like I, I don't know. I kind of thought he was Italian or something. Like I I didn't I you definitely he was Dave Doerr. Yeah, I definitely didn't think he was this like forty five year old suburban dad from Boise. Like, <laughs> just not the, the image I had of him. But anyway, he is. And that book is about these three, like, intersecting time period, like, storylines that are connected by this fictional manuscript from ancient Greece called Cloud Cuckoo Land. That, uh, so the first, the first narrative is, is, uh, in Constantinople in 1450 during the siege when the Turks were, uh, turning it into Istanbul that the, this manuscript gets like smuggled out by this, by this girl. And then in the present day, I think it's in Boise actually, uh, the, this, this old man like finds it, makes it his life to his kind of, uh, late in life work to translate it from Greek and, uh, and then, and then puts on this play in this library and, and uh and then in the future this girl is like is is on a spaceship going toward Alpha Centauri or some shit and she finds this uh manuscript in like the library archives so they kind of loosely tie together and i thought it was i thought it was really good actually it's like it's very simple and i've been reading a lot of books that have complex presentations you know and then once you get past the the complexity of the writing or the presentation then the story itself is pretty lackluster and it's like kind of a lot of shine and not a lot of substance and this is the opposite it's like very simple style very very kind of straightforward but the but then the story is is uh pretty affecting so that was a good one i re-read a book called lighthouse by william monahan uh that i read 
like 15 years ago when Chamber 4 was happening. And evidently that is the guy that wrote The Departed. And he also wrote a new movie called The Tender Bar with Ben Affleck, directed by George Clooney, which was... And then, yeah, that memoir was... Wait, did he write the book or that... No, he wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And that was... Have you seen it, Aaron? I haven't seen it. I've heard... It's fine. They shot it in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. It has good moments, but it's not... It doesn't really hang together. But so we watched that, and then I was like, oh, that's the guy that wrote that book that I... And I really liked it, and I wanted to see if I still liked it. And it's it's kind of the same. It's kind of it's like there are really good moments, and then there's a lot of kind of mm, okay, like the mortar of it holding it together is is not great. And then I read a book called April in Spain, which I hated. So that was by John Danville, uh, who I think also won the Booker or the something he's Irish though, so he's he's from Waterford, I think, and he has also written this series of mystery novels that follow this uh, investigator, this this uh, medical examiner named Quirk. And this one was like literally Qu- Quirk goes to Spain. He sees a woman. He's like, shit, that's my daughter's friend. She's supposed to be dead. What should I do about this? 150 pages. Then he like calls, uh, he calls his bureau back in uh, Ireland and he says, Hey, I saw this dead girl. You want to send somebody out? And they're like, should we send somebody out? 150 pages of that. And then they send somebody out. And there's also a hitman there. And they fight. The, the detective kills the hitman. Book over. That's the whole thing. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know what. It read a lot like all of his like little bullshit dialogues that he had cut out of other novels. He just stuffed into this novel and was like, you know, he talks, Quirk talks to his wife for like 20 pages about how he likes shrimp but doesn't like lobster or some bullshit, you know? And it's like, it's just so, it was so shitty. I read it absolutely furious for two days and uh, finished it in two days. <laughs> but you've liked a couple of just, those in the past, right? I did. I liked the one of the first ones. Yeah, that I think like when he, and now he just cranks them out, I think. Because that couldn't have been more than 10 years ago. And he's written eight of them in addition to whatever, you know, normal novels he's been writing. This is the literary equivalent of a hate fuck where you just, <laughs> you just like God. seethe and anchor and see what happens. Like you and Peace Beetle Bailey. Yeah. And then you go, <laughs> go through the Goodreads reviews until you find somebody who has the same reaction as you. And you're like, yeah. Fuck yeah, I'm not the only one. Most of them are just like, I got this arc from such and such, and it was a really great book. It's like, you didn't read this. I, I don't believe it. But yeah, those are the three most interesting books I've, I've read. I love that we got some Booker slamming in there, too. I was going to ask if it was the guy won the Booker. He did. <laughs> <laughs> Fits the narrative, which is great. Excellent. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I just didn't... I, I just want to see what he actually read. Because he, do you guys remember The Sea? Oh, yeah. I think that was his his book that was really well received. The Sea. He also started writing them in uh, with a with a pen name, Benjamin Black. And now he just writes them under his own name, which, huh. I, which I find That's is interesting. interesting. Yep, it yeah, won the I Booker Prize. So not going to be reading that. Secret Booker lurking in there somewhere. Excellent. A couple things from my end. I read also two short novels, <laughs> themes running through the podcast, two of the Ian Fleming James Bond novels. I'd never read them before. A couple of years ago, I started getting, I've always liked James Bond movies, 
but never was like a it was sort of like a casual just like after i would watch them and i went to see the the daniel craig ones in the theater but i wasn't like a james bond aficionado necessarily um and then also a couple years i started really getting more into it and just like i don't know really enjoying the patterns and trends i listened to a podcast called james bonding which was really fun it kind of helped me sort of i feel like the podcasts are always probably responsible for guiding you into those niche, niche interests like that so i've been really enjoying them more and more and then i was home this past summer and at half price books i was wandering around looking just kind of like browsing to kill some time and i saw they had two of the fleming novels and i had trouble i hadn't been able to find them in bookstores in boston for a while so i saw two i was like oh great i'll buy these and maybe read them see what's going on so i got two i got live and let die and moonraker which are two and three in the series i didn't get casino royale which is the first one but you know you don't have to i mean i know the story of casino royale because i've seen the movie <laughs> and also it's not like you don't it's not like you need to have plot points from the previous novel no. to carry on they're kind of like they're independent texts with some carryover information the main or, or sort of matter plot point i remember from casino royale is that he smokes 120 cigarettes a day <laughs> yeah the smoking is insane, insane. yeah I, so it's, it's a complicated review because both these novels were very fun to read they're very enjoyable the plots are are great Fleming has a real gift i think for like good cliffhanger chapter endings where they don't they're not like movie serials where it's like and he was hanging off the cliff by his pinky was he gonna get up and the next chapter like he did you're like okay yeah sure because the book continues they're kind of more like thematic cliffhangers they're really they really make you want to read i read them i burned through them pretty quickly and they're you know they're not hard to read (laughs) however they are hard to read in some ways because <laughs> racism is appalling. I mean, not racism is always appalling, I suppose, but like it's rough. So, Live and Let Die, especially, is set, or half of it is set in Harlem, and the main villain, mm. uh, like Mr. Big, is like a uh, like black gangster. And Fleming is clearly like an old school English racist with all of the like, well, we hope that they will eventually, you know, figure out how to how to join society kind of racism. It's mm. bad stuff. So he holds up Mr. Big as an exemplar of like, well, here's someone who figured out how to make it in the world. He's like this like cunning, ruthless villain, but he like has he's respectable. Right. And then there's a scene in a nightclub where Bond and Felix Leiter, his CIA friend and like counterpart are like undercover trying to figure out what's going on with Mr. Big's organization. And they overhear a conversation in the next booth between a pimp and a sex worker. And it's in dialect. And it's oh, man. oh, boy. Can you, I think you going. should read us a, an excerpt. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no way in hell. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it, yeah. So Live and Let Die was the better story, but it was the worst read because it was it was just full of that stuff. Moonraker was actually very fun and, and more, more or less free of the racism, thankfully. It was kind of racist against Scottish people, I guess, because the bad guy in Moonraker is a Scottish... But it's not really, it's not as bad as, as the racism in Live and Let Die. There's definitely lots of misogyny in Moonraker. But it's it's not it's not anything you wouldn't expect in a novel from the 50s, um, which is not great. But also it's just like, it's not as rough as Live and Let Die was. Story, not quite as good. But still, I really enjoyed the hell of both of them. So I think I might pursue more of these. They read really quickly. And I like Bond. But uh, yeah, there's, you have to... You have to go in knowing that there's going to be some rough patches for sure because Fleming is just a complete asshole. And then I also, Jack Baby's update. A couple of years ago, we talked about the relaunch of the X-Men comics. I know, Brick, I think you read a couple of them, right? You read the House of X and Powers of X series, right? Jonathan Hickman took over the X-Men comics at Marvel uh, with a couple artists, Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva and a couple others, um, Lionel Francis Yu maybe, and just kind of relaunched the books with this new concept, which was, you know, just basically... There were several, 
there's one person who was revealed to be a mutant whose power was that she could be reincarnated basically and whenever she dies and is reincarnated the timeline starts over like the universe starts over she's like the core the most important person in the universe so she's five billion years old no she is she's like born in whatever like the 20s or 30s or something like that or four, i don't know uh, okay. she's supposed to be born but she's like she's just her power is that she can end the world with her death uh, and then she's reborn and and so the universe starts over and her sort of like life you know it leads to this like new timeline okay so yeah things that happened before her life happen i guess you know more or less the same as they happened before i guess they could but she then can alter because she can remember what happened in her previous life so when she's born in her new timeline she remembers what happened and the consequences of those actions and so forth so she can chart a new path hmm. and the idea was that she shared that information with Professor X and Magneto and allowed them to like make choices that would promote like the succession of mutants into like the sort of like the ruling the planet basically because she had a secret knowledge but it had to be kept secret because if they told everyone else about her power it would like ruin the thing somehow so I think that was like I think it was two and a half years ago I can't remember how long it was it was definitely before the pandemic hit and Hickman just finished his run he is handing the reins over to another writer I think in the summer and his last series was called Inferno where he sort of ended the story. And I always wondered when this whole thing started, like how it would end. And I, it seemed like the end would be obvious, like Mora dies and the timeline starts over and you get a fresh slate for the X-Men, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of a, a brilliant move. I thought because you can do whatever you want to as a writer, move pieces around, kill people, resurrect people, fuck with all the relationships. And then when it's time to move on, just, you know, hit the reset button, which we've already set up. And then the writer can take over and, and you have the classic X-Men back if you want to. So they basically just made retconning into a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> but what happened, though, is not that. It was great. So the ending, they took away her power. And so now the timeline is stuck. So now we have this, like, now we're here forever. And it's a really, I thought it was a really exciting kind of masterful move from Hickman to still change the pieces around and set up for the next writer. I think who I think is Kieran Gillen um, from Die and Phonogram, but to sort of keep some of the things that he, he had done in place and still make it kind of complicated, interesting. So you're not just like totally tossing off this, you know, two and a half year story. So I really enjoyed that. I know people didn't like it. I read lots of uh, negative reviews, but I was really into it. I love that Hickman run. It was so weird and cool. And I'm glad that it's sticking around at least in some part. And I enjoyed Gillen too. So I, I would like reading his comics as well. So that's my reading. Listeners, tell us what you are reading these days. Find us on Twitter at YakBabies and email us at YakBabiesPodcast at gmail.com with all your reading suggestions, your thoughts, your rem- memories of the John McTiernan, Anthony Pelicanos case from like, whatever, 10 years ago, what the fuck it was. Let us know there. Also, find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash YakBabies has access to our secret bonus podcast. There's things happening there. There's wild, wonderful things. There's games, bro to bros, a really interesting psychologically compelling podcast called 101 ghost jokes rank where we are <laughs> losing our minds or have lost our minds at this point in, in the series uh and are breaking down uh these ghost jokes there's also a candy tournament man there's tons of stuff on on patreon for a dollar so go check that out too and then our merch tinyurl.com slash has access to our t-shirts and posters and stuff designed by brick they're all very funny and worth your time until then yak babies yakking off the Yak Babies would like to thank all their loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, and William Howard Taft. Oh.